Verse number 1 now, please, of uh, Matthew 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us oil of give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be no there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door, the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour, wherein the Son of Man cometh. Ending our reading at that point. There are many amazing sermons in the Word of God, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We were not there to hear them preached. Great leaders like Samuel and Elijah and prophets like Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, some of them better known than others, but their sermons are preserved by the Holy Ghost in the Scriptures. And in the New Testament... There are many other very great and very amazing preachers like John the Baptist. I would love to have heard John the Baptist preach. He was alluded to this morning. The wicked man or men of whom uh, Pastor Bertie has spoken uh, decapitated him and tried to put Jesus to death. But he, he failed in the latter. Imagine trying to put the Son of God who came to atone for the world's sin to death even in his infancy. But John's work was done and John was ready to go home. But his sermons are very powerful. And he stayed particularly uh, a lot with one theme, that of repentance. He was an amazing man and he feared neither the face of king or queen, the face of Herod uh, or, or indeed any other uh, potentate of his day. 
Then there was the Apostle Paul. I would love to have heard the Apostle Paul preach also. The New Testament and a lot of Paul's 14 uh, letters, if we include the book of the Hebrews, uh, contain <coughs> overviews and uh, indeed details of the sermons he preached. They were absolutely profound and amazing and very impacting, and they're still impacting. And then remember the powerful sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't so much about the content of Peter the fisherman's sermon that brought about the results. It was the anointing of God. I want you to know that in many of the revivals, some children have stood up on a table or on a chair and have preached school children of primary years. And there were hundreds that fell down under deep conviction and were led to Christ. It's not the preacher and it's not his sermon. It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And that sermon Peter preached just after coming out of the upper room, filled with the Holy Ghost, there were 3,000 souls saved. And a few weeks, or perhaps a month or two later, there was another 5,000 saved. 8,000 saved by the operation of the Holy Ghost through Peter's preaching. It would have been wonderful to have been there. And there's so many other preachers in the New Testament, and uh, we could say the same. It would have been great to have heard them preach. But the one who stands out from amongst all of these in both Old and New Testaments is the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine the Lord Jesus, the wonderful, the glorious Son of God, who came down from heaven to atone for the sins of the world, who lived among men. He was a man just as manly and more so than any other man that walked the face of the earth at that time. The humble man from Nazareth. And when he reached the age of 30, his ministry began, and he began to teach and preach and perform miracles, including the casting out of demons. And uh, it was quite amazing. I would love to have been around some part of that mountain where he preached his sermon on the mount, as it's called. It's one of the longest sermons we have in the entire New Testament, actually. With those wonderful lists of the Beatitudes, how profound, how profoundly simple and simply profound. I would love to have heard those words pouring from the mouth, from the lips of the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus went to the house of Mary and Martha, Martha was so distracted, so actually, so much interested in what the Master was saying, she forgot about doing her homework, doing uh, her kitchen duties that day. She sat at his feet spellbound, wrapped up in the Master's message. It would have been wonderful, wonderful to have heard him preach. But I want you to know that Jesus' sermons too are recorded in the Scripture, and this is one of them. Imagine I have just read part of 
one of Jesus' sermons. Imagine. These words came from the lips of the Son of God. This is in a league that's quite different from all others, whether it's the sermons of Jonathan Edwards or whether it's the sermons of John Wesley or the great George Whitfield, who could make men weep, cry, laugh, shout, uh, uh, where he placed the emphasis on the word uh, Mesopotamia, the great orator. I am saying this is in a special category. These are the words. This is a sermon, part of a sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's, there's more, much more. This portion of the sermon is known as a parable. And the parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a homespun, familiar story from the countryside or the town or the home, but with a heavenly meaning, a weighty emphasis, a weighty point to it. And there's a very weighty point to this one, clearly, this particular parable of the Lord Jesus. The story of the ten virgins. I never preached on this passage all my years of ministry until recently. And I want to talk to you on this great theme that I've already intimated and asked my dear brother Stephen to write a hymn, another hymn like this one, um, that can be sung and that can be appreciated. Because this great event, it's not around the corner. It's not on the horizon. It's on the threshold of the door. We are that close to this great climax of the ages that we call the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How awesome and how amazing. A powerful sermon, you must admit, and I pray, God, you will feel the impact of it in your heart today. And there's some of you here today, you need to meet with God. Some not saved, and there's some who are away from God. You've grown cold. You're backslidden. You need to meet with God. And you're not in a good place if Jesus were to come again. So I'm serving you notice. Sit up and listen up and allow the Word of God to grip a hold on you. In fact, if it's gripping a hold on you, there's hope for you. But if it's running over the top of you, if it's not impacting you or disturbing you, 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 you need to be doubly concerned. Doubly concerned. These are momentous days, momentous days to say the least. So I emphasize once more, this is a sermon which formed part of the critical teachings, final teachings, the last thoughts of the Son of God. And that's very, very humbling and deeply challenging. And the very fact it was the Lord Jesus himself that also makes us listen up. I want you to note uh, the setting or the subject of, indeed, the chapter 24 that precedes this chapter and the entire chapter 
25 that we have just read the first section from. A total of 198 verses. And almost all of those verses are taken up with the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Probably one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible on the second coming of the Lord Jesus is Matthew 24. It's one of the longest chapters, and it's very, very comprehensive, detailed, insightful, and uh, challenging to the point of being disturbing, uh, for sure. So in the middle, right in the very center of that huge portion of almost 200 verses, there is the parable of the ten virgins that is speaking powerfully, powerfully and in detail about that event. Please, please listen. There are statistics in various parts of the Bible, and I like and I investigate statistics wherever I see them. The statistics in this parable are centered around the number 10, and it's divided into two, five and five, five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. And as you are fully aware, even the primary boys and girls, primary school children, know that uh, uh, five is half of ten, and you would say it's 50% of a hundred. And the Lord Jesus, or the Holy Ghost, did not use statistics, did not use even words uh, superfluously. There was always a reason, always a reason. And if this chapter, if this parable is to do with the second coming, and if the number 10 is divided into uh, 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 50 and 50, it's suggesting to me that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, 50% of what passes for the evangelical church of the Lord Jesus will not be ready, will not be ready <coughs> when he comes. Are we not told to get ready, to have our lamps all trimmed, burning brightly? There may be 50% of those who are expecting to be caught up when Jesus returns who are going to be caught out. Their garments not clean, their lamp not burning, not burning at all perhaps, or burning very, very low. There are some Christians who are expecting to be caught up to meet Jesus in the air, and they have never been to a prayer meeting in their life. I think if you've never been to a prayer meeting to pray with other believers, it's, it's very, very uh, 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 questionable whether or not you've really been to the cross. Whether or not you've really met with the Lord Jesus, and you most certainly do not have a concern for others if you are not attending a prayer meeting on a regular basis. But I say 50% who are not walking with God yet the professor's name, 50% who are not reading their Bibles, yet the claim to be an evangelical Christian, 50% who do not come regularly to church to worship with the saints, even though they are professing to be saved, or to come only when it's convenient, or it keeps, takes very little to keep them away. How, how is it with you? I challenged a congregation not long ago, in Africa, and I do this from time to time, how many of you, you're all pastors, how many of you have read the Word of God from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation? One person put up their hand. 
Now, that's Africa. There may be an excuse for Africa, but there's not really an excuse for Northern Ireland. Regarded as the most evangelical part of the entire uh, Western world. If you're not hungry for God, if you're not hungry for the Word of God, if you're not hungry for holiness of heart and life, if you're not hungry and passionate about winning souls, if you do not shed tears, and if you don't, do not tremble from time to time as you listen to the men of God who minister here, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You're not feeling it. You must feel the truth as well as hear it. And some of us come in and out of the house of God, and we cannot say with assurance whether the presence of God was there or not, because you don't know what the presence of God is like. And that is very, very sad. Very sad. When last did you meet with God? Knowingly. You don't meet with God unknowingly. When last did you feel the presence of God tangibly, either in your home, at the side of your bed, or wherever you rendezvous with God each day, or in the house of God or the prayer meeting? When did you last feel you were at the feet of Jesus, like Mary, of whom I was speaking a few moments ago? <clears throat> so the statistics here, and they're disturbing. <clears throat> And I believe, I believe I've got it right, otherwise I wouldn't say it. There's going to be an awful lot of people, professing Christians, who will not be ready when Jesus comes back. And they're going to be left behind, and they're going to be subjected to the great tribulation. And most, if not all of them, are going to be decapitated or be uh, executed, martyred. If I understand my reading of the Scriptures are right, that's how it's going to be. You're going to be left behind, and you're going to have a horrific, challenging, painful time, and you'll be wishing, oh, oh, my God, I wish, I wish, I wish I had lived right. I wish I did not have to go through this. Oh, my friends, my brothers and sisters, hear the Word of God. And then I want to say with you, the searching objective of this message is simply for me to ask you on behalf of Jesus, is there oil in your lamp? Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit, like wind and fire and water. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And there is a very clear analogy here, five of the virgins had oil, had the Holy Spirit in their lives. They had a, 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 a lively experience. I'm reading into it. And they had, they had substance, but the others did not. They had a supply, they had oil in their lamp, and they actually had a vessel with them with more oil. But the others, the others were not concerned. The others were suspect. And they were all supposed to be in love with the bridegroom. That is, they were invited to the wedding, and they were bridesmaids. They were all ladies, virgins. And they were all living pure lives. They were all living, living saintly. 
If they were here this morning, and I'm aware this is a parable, but let us just uh, uh, allow our imagination to run a little bit, uh, a little, a little bit uh, wild. And let's say they're, they're standing in a long row, and I said to you, there's ten virgins here. They're all good, godly, pure young ladies. And um, there's some of them not in a good place. Some of them, there's five wise, five foolish, but they're all mixed up. I want you to pick out the five wise virgins from the five that are foolish. Do you know something? You would look and look and look, and the most discerning of you, and I know ladies are very, very discerning about how another lady looks. They don't bother about us men so much, but other ladies, they like to see what they're wearing. They like to see how their hair is fixed. They like to even actually, it's a big study, their shoes. And they're, they're, they're looking at the expressions on their faces. Women are, are, are great, what should I say, professionals when it comes to examining another lady. And you would look at the ten virgins at the front, and you would look at their clothing. In fact, you would see they're all dressed the same. They've all, they're all wearing the same color of shoes. And they're all smelling very sweetly and perfumed. And their hair is all beautifully fixed. And you look into their eyes, and their eyes are sparkling. And you would say, oh, that, that one at the end there, that, that, that's surely one of the wise virgins. And the next one, the same, that, that one also was a genuine one. That, that one is a, a wise virgin. And the third one, and the fourth one. Oh, you would say they must all be on this side. The fourth one, that, that's another genuine virgin, a very pure, godly, good, good person. And come to number five, and you come to the same conclusion, and then you keep going. The number six, you say there's no difference with this one from the other five. And number seven, looks exactly the same. There's a sparkle in the eye. And the perfume smells the same, and the clothes on the outside look the same. They're all about the same height. They've all come to celebrate and to be a part of the wedding supper. And to indeed uh, celebrate and to sing and to do everything that is necessary to make the, the event unforgettable. And you say, really, I can't tell any, tell any difference. There's ten of them here, and they're all looking like the same. There are churches, and there is a bunch of people there, maybe like this group of people this morning, or other churches, 50, 100, maybe 1,000 people, and, and, and you, you, you try to find and pick out those who are really walking with God. It's difficult to do. There are some who sing in the choir of churches, and they're far away from God. Like the young lady I heard about in Africa. She was a beautiful lady, beautifully dressed, and she was the most beautiful singer in the choir. Allow me for being rude and a little vulgar. She was the center of the singing and the worship, and after church, she slipped out of church on her way home some distance from the church, there was somebody waiting for her in a little house. And she knocked the door and went in, and she slept with the gentleman who was living in that house. And she did it a second time before she got home, and she was singing in the choir. And she looked 
as radiant as any saint and as beautiful as an angel. Dear brothers and sisters, it's not how we look. It's not how we sing. It's not how we speak, how we give a testimony. It's not how busy we are in the church or how much we're doing for the kingdom of God. I want to ask you this morning, have you got oil in your lamp? Have you got the Holy Spirit in your heart? If any man or woman have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none, he is none of his. That means he does not belong to him. Have you got the witness, the clear witness of the Spirit of God that you're born again? Have you got the assurance that Christ, the hope of glory, is living in your heart and controlling your life? Have you got the assurance absolutely, unquestionably, that your name is written in the book of life? Did you walk with God this past week? Is there anything devious, deceitful, dark, defiling that you have said or done this past week? That you might not even be aware, fully aware of, or the damage that it has caused to the testimony of Christ? Is there oil in your lamp? Is the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you walking in close and in an intimate relationship with him? This is how it ought to be in my life. This is how it ought to be in your life. Is there oil in your lamp? So there was and is a notable distinction between the two categories. Very, very soon the sheep will be separated from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous, the holy from the unholy, and it will be God who will be doing the dividing and the deciding. Not a preacher, not, not a human being, not Paul or Peter, It's a somber and a very solemn consideration, a distinction. Are you one of Christ's virgins? Are you truly belonging to him? And are you longing for that great event? I'm not sure how many hours or days the virgins waited. They waited and waited and waited. And they wondered, when is it going to happen? They said, for sure it's going to happen, but we can't tell exactly, exactly when. And that is how it is with the second coming of Jesus. We don't know exactly. The day and the hour knoweth no man. So there was a notable delay. And very quickly, I want to point out to you the reason why Christ delays. The word used in the parable is that he tarried. The bridegroom tarried, verse number five. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. He tarried. Why is he tarrying? Two reasons, and they're both very important. Number one, there's a lot of people not converted. 
And just like us in the days of Noah, God waited. God waited. During all those years, was it 120? A long period. God waited. He extended out the day of grace. And dear old Noah was preaching, and he was warning the people, get ready, get ready. The event is almost upon us. Judgment is coming. Judgment, like the, like the march of an army coming. It'll soon, time will soon be over. <clears throat> and remember, it never had rained until the ark door was shut. It had never had rained. There were never storm clouds in the sky up until that time. People didn't believe. They mocked and they laughed. Absolutely. God waited. And the saints have been praying. And I believe, I believe very strongly, those who are much prayed for, I'll not say they cannot, that they cannot be lost, but I would say there are many, many, many reasons why it will be difficult for those people who are much prayed for not to get saved, not to get in. God doesn't put a burden on the hearts of his people to pray for the lost and then, then, then abandon, abandon uh, those prayers that have been offered up for those lost individuals. God is extending the time, extending the time for our prayers, for our lost brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, our children, grandchildren, God's extending the time. God is tarrying. Jesus is tarrying is coming. Extending the day a little longer so that others, many others, can be brought in. So that there'll be a great, great, great number on that day. That will be on the side of Jesus Christ. The other reason is not only that more lost men and women will get saved, but that the bride will prepare herself. I stand in your presence this morning on Jesus' behalf, and I announce humbly and very simply and authoritatively, the bride of Jesus is not ready for his coming. Ninety-five, if not ninety-eight or nine percent of what we're doing does not have Jesus in it, does not have Jesus' approval. The 90%, 95% and more percent of what you're doing is not actually going to make you a better Christian. It might even get you into trouble. I say to you that we need to get ready. Remember uh, the story about the man who did not have on the wedding garment. I could, like, I could spend time on that, but I'm not. I want to say to you, if you do not have on the wedding garment of holiness, righteousness, righteousness, that's a good Bible word. If you do not have on the wedding garment of righteousness, you don't belong to Jesus. What is righteousness? Simply defined, it means right living or Living right. Living right. Are you living right? Do you handle your money honestly? Do you keep your mind clean and constantly covered by the blood of Jesus? Are you walking with God? Are you on speaking terms with Jesus Christ? What makes you tick? Is it witnessing and winning souls, seeking to build the kingdom? What are we told? Jesus, again, to refer to his other sermon, 
uh, uh, what we called and referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his holiness, and all these other things that people are scrambling after, whatever's necessary and needful, they'll be added on. They'll be added on. Oh, dear people, it's time for the bride to get ready. If I had the eyes of an archangel, I wouldn't need spectacles. Angels have x-ray eyes, and they would say, you are ready, and you are ready, and you down there are ready, but most of you on this side are not ready. And down this side, he would say, you are not ready, and you are not ready, and you have a long way to go to get ready. He would point his finger, if I was an archangel, and could see as they see, because they know how the believers are living. And God sends them on occasion to seek out and to stir up and to arrest and awaken. They're a big part of um, the ministry to those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, I feel my work in Africa, and I've said it not once, but I've said it scores of time, God has sent me there to help to prepare the bride for the coming of the bridegroom. That's my work. That's my work. To stir up the church and to challenge Christians and to get the Word of God to come to bear on their lives so that they will weep and that they will repent and cry out to God and that they'll get their, they'll get their lives into line with God and His purposes. And that is what I'm about here this morning. There's also a notable disappointment here, and I need to wind up clearly. Uh, a notable disappointment, and it's this. They all slumbered and slept while they waited. You can understand the foolish virgins slumbering and sleeping. There's a lot of people in church not saved. They're sleeping, and it could be there's some here today, and you are not born again, and you're not interested. <laughs> you're not interested in getting saved. In fact, you maybe don't even realize how lost you are or how urgently your need is to come to Christ. You're, you're, you're sleeping. You're sleeping. But there are a lot of believers, professing believers, who are asleep. I would say believers who don't, do not go to the prayer meeting or only occasionally, they are sleeping like the disciples in Gethsemane. Sleeping. If you are not reading the Word of God and, and seeking to understand uh, more about living a godly life, seeking to understand uh, the Word of God and how to apply it to your life and to uh, uh, teach it to others, you are sleeping. And I say to you, I, I, I announce, I speak on behalf of Jesus, waken up, waken up. It's soon going to be too late. Waken up, I say. Oh, virgins, waken up, waken up. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, after wakening them up on, on two occasions, he said, sleep on now. And I fear Jesus is saying that to the church today. Sleep on now. Yeah, you have slept through all these crises, like COVID-19. 
You have slept through uh, uh, all these other catastrophic events and, and, and you have no intention, no desire to, 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 to do anything and to, to pray. He, he says, sleep on now. It's too late, too late. Things have gone too far. Oh, men and women, please. I beg of you, I beg of you, I beg of you in Jesus' name, please wake it up. Rise and shine, rise and shine. Get back to the prayer closet. Get back to serving Jesus. Get back to ministry. In Africa, everybody wants to serve God. When they get, find the Lord, they've got a, the spirit of evangelism in their heart. They want to win others to Jesus. I find in Northern Ireland and in uh, the West, it's very, very, very hard to get um, a lot of people. It's very hard to get 95% of the people to do anything for the church, to do anything for Jesus. They want you to pay them. They want you to mollycoddle them. I say, if you're truly born again, you will not need to be asked. You'll be volunteering in Africa. They're so keen. I say so, I've never seen anything like it. They want to do something. And we all should feel that way. You need a teachable spirit and a willing heart, uh, clearly. Waking up. Waking up. There's so much to do. So much to do. And soon, I tell you, when we get to heaven, we'll get all the rest we want. And may I say, you'll not be able to take your tractors and your sports cars or your wardrobe of suits or nice dresses with you. You'll not be taking, able to take any of your money with you. I've never seen a trailer attached to the back of a coffin yet. I say, I say, it's only what is done for Jesus and his kingdom that's going to last or be rewarded or recognized on the other side. And then the big shout went out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Oh, my dear people, that's about to happen. That's about to happen. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. There'll be a trumpet that will sound. He's coming, he's coming. The angels will appear. A great army or entourage of angels will appear. And there'll be celebration. <laughs> oh, that will be some moment. That will be some moment. And it'll be so wonderful that the dead will hear it in their graves and they will all arise like so quickly. It'll be a great moment, Bertie. It'll be a great moment. Absolutely. But then there was notable despair. A lot of people thought they were ready. These other virgins thought they were ready. And when they came up to the door, they weren't recognized. Well, what are you doing here? What, what, who are you? Where's the proof that you, you belong here? And the words were very, very sad and tragic. Depart from me. I never knew you. You know, at the end, when Jesus comes back or when we are called out, you know, on that great occasion, uh, we'll be knocking at the door and we'll be given uh, the information, depart from me, 
I never knew you. I don't know you. Does Jesus know you? If Jesus knows you as being one of his, the devil knows you too. Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? Is your name known in hell? Is your name known on high? When Jesus comes back, will he know you, who you are? And when you found him and how you served him and served him well? A notable moment of everlasting despair, depart from me. You know, in that number, there'll be a lot of clergymen. There'll be a lot of church deacons and elders. There'll be a lot of preachers, and there'll be a bunch of, a bunch of evangelists, men, men, who, are, who have been preaching for money, men who have been preaching for fame and recognition, people who, 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 who really, uh, they look the part, and they're acting the part, but they don't belong to Jesus. I tell you that 50%, a lot of people, a lot of people that are going to be unprepared and rejected. Is there oil in your lamp? Gracious Father, bless your word. Please, Lord, bless your word. And the feeble preaching of it. And I pray that somebody here today will waken up, waken up, and cry out, God, be merciful to me, because I'm not right. I'm not right. I'm not ready. God, be merciful to me. I have sinned. I've broken the laws of God. I need to get right with God, and I want to get right. I repent. I repent sincerely, and I come to Jesus. And I come. I want to come now. Oh, God, bless your word and bless your work, and bless this church. I thank you for the men of God who minister from this pulpit. I pray for your encouragement and your blessing upon Pastor Bertie and Pastor Stephen. I thank you for their godly lives and their faithful ministry. May they be encouraged and used to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.